Hello and welcome to There's No Business Like, a podcast where friends and industry colleagues explore topics and interview leaders in our industry of professional theatrical touring. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to There's No Business Like. I'm Katie Miller with the Midland Center for the Arts. Introduce yourselves, everyone. I'm Josh Benson from Marion, Illinois with the Marion Cultural and Civic Center. And I'm Kevin Maynard from Quad City Arts in Rock Island, Illinois. Brian Zelmer from Kutztown University. Daniel Van Hook from the Alden in McLean, Virginia. A question for you all. What is your favorite marketing campaign? Could be print, television, something you've done at your venue, but what's like your favorite marketing campaign or commercial? So my, my favorite thing that we did, we had a Dinosaur World Live coming in. And so we set up at a trunk or treat and filled an inflatable swimming pool with bounce house balls and filled the bottom of it with toy dinosaurs. Everybody could grab a toy dinosaur that had a little tag flyer for the show attached to it. We ended up with like 3,500 trick-or-treaters at this police trunk-or-treat event. And it, it went over huge because I had like three employees there in inflatable dinosaur suits and it was a blast. Um, when I was in college, we were always looking for different ways to like promote um, the performing arts series. And I found out one time that the print shop could print on transparencies. We had the Spencers, uh, magic and illusion show coming and like, they don't do like a disappearing act, but just as something that's like, you know, magic related adjacent, we got like the flyer, um, printed on a transparency. It was a pared down image so that the negative space, like you could still read what was going on and then put them in the, the middle of the tables in the dining hall. And that I just felt like was one of those like ways of just using like one of the silly things that you kind of have around you, like to your benefit for that one show. One of my favorite uh, experiences was actually when I was doing an internship in college for a fast food company that was changing, completely rebranding um, to include uh, frozen custard, which is a, a type of ice cream. They rented this this van with a freezer in it. We would start out at like three in the morning making the, the custard and then filling this van with it, with all the toppings and everything. Then parking in front of just some random like television station, like we'd pull up to the NB NBC station in Denver in this unmarked van, <laughs> scooping ice cream in the back of it, making little sundaes, and then taking a tray of sundaes up to the front door, the security guard stopping us. We're like, oh, we're here to deliver, you know, we'd say the anchors' names or whatever, because we knew that they were in their, their meeting for the day to go over, you know, what the news was going to be. And I was surprised, you know, you see this in TV shows where, you know, like the A-Team I grew up on and they would, you know, Face would go in with uh, a tray of food or a pizza. Oh, I've got a delivery. And, and the security guard's like, oh, OK, that actually happened. <laughs> like we literally walked in with a tray of ice cream and, and the security guard stops us and, and we're like, oh, we're here to deliver Sundays. And he looks at the, at the ice cream and he's like, oh, OK, and waves us in and we deliver them. And we're hanging out in the newsroom. I couldn't believe that. And station after station, whether it was TV or radio or whatever, we got in every time. Wow. Guerrilla marketing at its finest right there, Brian. <laughs> That's fantastic. I can't think of anything that like an organization that I was involved with that really did anything super clever like that. But I always think about like just national campaigns like the the, the Pepsi campaigns because of the Pepsi documentary on Netflix. But like that and like the whole like Got Milk campaign and just how that was so prolific and like in everybody's home. Just the phrase got milk um, and just the number of celebrities that they got to to do that. Like, I think that's right. just incredible. 
my favorite commercial maybe of all time is the Geico Got Ants commercial. Have you guys seen this when it's like the home buyers have just moved into their house and then they have ants. They have an infestation of ants, but it is like literally their aunts. And so it's all of these old ladies like poking their nose in their business and going, there's my favorite moment. I laugh out loud every time is the ant in the refrigerator going expired, expired and like tossing things out of the refrigerator. I burst out laughing every single time. And clearly it has stuck with me. Um, I don't have Geico insurance. However, like their marketing campaigns, I think are probably some of the best out there right now. So I asked about this because we are going to talk today with my good friend, Josh Holiday. Josh is a good friend of mine and he is a marketing guru. And we are going to get a masterclass today in marketing tactics, public relations, and some great career advice. So hope you enjoy. We'll see you on the other side. Hi, I'm Josh Holliday, Director of Communications at Tennessee Performing Arts Center. Um, and I'm a passionate marketing professional, but also an arts administrator and been passionate about the arts for many, many years um, and thrilled to be today. Josh, thank you so much for joining us on There's No Business Like. We're so excited to have you with us today. First of all, I just want to let everyone know that we actually are good friends and former colleagues. So we knew each other when we worked together at the Midland Center for the Arts in Midland, Michigan, you in marketing, myself in community engagement. Um, I'm really excited to chat with you today a little bit about your marketing philosophy, the business of marketing, how you got into this, and a little bit of like how you're involved in the industry outside of your professional role in marketing um, for an organization. Let's jump right in. I would love to hear about your origin story, a little bit about yourself, and how did you get into this world of marketing for the arts. It all started when I was in college and I, you know, like many young people just thought I wanted a good job that was secure and made good money. Right. Um, but then I realized when I was pursuing that, which was health administration, I was like, this is, this is not for me. I'm too much of a creative person. I'm too much of an artsy person. Like I need something fun. And so I remember in college, I was like soul searching. I was like, what could I do that is like all-encompassing of my passions and will make me excited to go to work every day. And as a student, I had been involved in this organization at Michigan State University called the Wharton Center Student Marketing Organization. And in that group, we basically like promoted the Broadway shows on campus to college kids. And there, I took a step back and I said, what I want to do is sitting right in front of me. Like there are people that work full time, not necessarily hanging up posters, but they were doing marketing and we were helping support the marketing efforts. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And so um, I was so grateful that I actually interned at Wharton Center for Performing Arts for about three years when I was in college as a marketing intern and learned so much. And so it really was like that soul searching for something I really wanted to do that got me into this industry. But then from there, my career has taken me down um, a, a wide variety of skill sets and passions and uh, tasks uh, to get to where I'm at today, which is kind of a unique story. Um, but I went to a small arts nonprofit after college and I wasn't doing marketing. They, were, they called because it was a relationship that I had built. And they were like, we're looking for a program manager at the Arts Council of Greater Lansing. And I was like, what does a program manager do? Like, I had <laughs> no idea. I was like, what does a program manager do? And so I went there and they're like, you're going to like administer our grant program. And I was like, uh, I didn't really know much about grants at the time. And she's like, but you have a lot of the personality attributes that can be a good resource for our organization. And we can teach you all those other things. So I always have had 
uh, mentors and leaders that have believed in me. And for years, I was doing this community and economic development work. I was doing grant administration, and I I enjoyed it, but it was not marketing. It was not working at a performing arts center, and I felt like I had kind of steered away from where I wanted to be. And so for years, it took me a little bit of time to get back into marketing. Sure enough, it sometimes takes one of those mentors or those relationships that you had before that believe in you and bring you back into this industry. And um, I've been back in it for several years now, and I could not be happier. And honestly, it was going down that path of doing that community work, that economic development work, understanding all the ways in which arts and culture can impact and influence the the culture and the fabric of a community that has made me a stronger candidate for any job today. Made me so much stronger at Midland Center for the Arts. It's what I'm really excited about um, to contribute here at Tennessee Performing Arts Center. And that background gives me an edge that's different than just an arts marketing person. And so although I felt lost for years, it was actually meant to be to get me to where I'm at today and made me uh, probably a little bit of a better asset um, as a candidate for positions like these. Well, and doing marketing at a performing arts center, you have to understand every component, right, of what that organization is doing, whether it is development, whether it is uh, community engagement programming, the actual Broadway touring shows, whatever's coming into the stage. So you have to be a multifaceted individual to really understand how to market those different aspects of an organization. Absolutely. And those are things that you have to learn um, with time and just taking the time to do the work, to be like, pull up your boots and get out there and do the work. Um, and I find that sometimes that is what makes the best leaders um, and, and why I'm so proud of the work that I did then, even though it felt I felt lost. I really, I was always like, I am, I have gone down the wrong path. Like, but now I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness, thank goodness I went down that path because it makes me so much stronger today. So yeah, you just got to believe in the journey sometimes. Well, life is a zigzag, right? It's not a straight line. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's turn a little bit into the career path you're in right now, which is marketing for programming folks agents, artists, maybe just coming into the field. I feel like it's shrouded in mystery a little bit. It's hard to unlock that door and really understand all the pieces and and parts of it. So first of all, what are the business goals of marketing? What would you define as the business goals of a marketing department for say a performing arts center? In the marketing department, oftentimes doesn't set the objectives, right? So we rely on our programming teams to say, this is the goal. This is why we're doing this program. This is why we're doing this activity. You're looking for the CEO to say, this is why we're engaging in these XYZ initiatives. And once they tell us that, we can then figure that out. The goals can change. And that's what's so unique about our work. And I have found, in particular in my work when I was at Midland Center for the Arts, we kept asking our programming teams, but what is the goal here? What is the objective? What would you consider successful? So if we do a whole marketing plan and a campaign. At the end of the day, how many people do you want in the room? How many people do you want having a conversation around this art form? And then once we know that, we can say, well, this is kind of what we need. This is how much time we're going to need to do that. Um, This is how much money it might cost. Um, Sometimes we don't get to decide how much money it might cost. We might just be saying, well, that's how much money I have. And so 
I, we might be able to reach there, we might not. Um, and that is that is part of our job. But it's really, I think the most important part is asking, what is the goal? And the marketing department doesn't always decide that goal, right? Um, sometimes that is the programming team. Sometimes that's collaborating because the marketing department oftentimes collaborates with those others. And so it's about establishing the goal and so then making sure that that's clear for everyone um, from the get-go uh, to manage expectations with everybody that's involved. Great. Thank you for that wonderful explanation. So can you walk us through like how you would plan out a marketing plan and what are those components? Um, and then what sort of, to your point, what sort of input are you looking for when you're establishing that from your other teams that you're working with? With a marketing plan, I have found that there's no right or wrong way that a marketing plan looks, which is basically a summary of what you're going to do to reach your goal. In an organization such as a performing arts center, um, our marketing plan is more of an Excel spreadsheet. And that is because we're oftentimes working on a lot of shows. So it's a spreadsheet that talks about all of the different tactics that we're going to do in order to reach our goals. So say you have a $5,000 budget. How are you gonna spend $5,000? And so the marketing plan oftentimes will will cover the paid side. So are you going to do radio spots? Are you going to do television spots? Are you going to do an advertisement in the daily newspaper? Are you going to do a social media campaign? And so your marketing plan outlines those tactics, but oftentimes has a summary as to why you're doing those tactics and who you're targeting and how you're going to reach those. So are you trying to reach women that are 35 plus um, okay, so that's going to inform why we're at this radio station, why we're in the mom's blog over here, and why we are doing that targeting specifically for social media. And so the marketing plan is that summary. It should be a one-stop shop to really see the full scope of how you're going to achieve your objectives. But I think that a marketing plan that's really good does not only think about the paid stuff, it also thinks about organic. So you're email schedule or your e-blast schedule, um, your social media campaign from organic and paid. It should also include promotions. Like, are you going to do an enter to win? Um, are you going to partner with your local bakery to do a themed pop tart for the show? You know, how can you do grassroots initiatives? Um, are you going to hang up posters around town? I have found that a marketing plan that includes all that detail, help you support um, your case as to what you've done to support an initiative. So then that way the programming team is not looking at you like, whoa, we didn't sell anything on this. Did you do anything? You can say, yes, here's the marketing plan. Remember, we reviewed it beforehand. Um, or sometimes you got to adjust. And so having that plan right there and say, these are all the things that are running. This is when they're running. And is it working or is it not working? If you are familiar with strategic plans, it's kind of like a strategic plan. And it's like the, the book that you follow to then decide how to execute it. Um, but then an ad buy is like a subset of a marketing plan, right? So if you're looking to place an advertisement, it's much simpler than sometimes people make it out to be. I actually think a lot of times ad buying is like relationship driven. It's not as relationship driven as like the communication side of our work and like public relations, but it is like, Sometimes it's like calling Michelle up and saying, hey, Michelle, I want to do a radio schedule. I got about $1,200. What can we get with $1,200 on the country station to promote this comedian that we have coming? And then she's like, let me put together a proposal and I'll send it over to you. And then they send you like this little packet of like, it'll have like a 30 page uh, PowerPoint presentation that'll show all of these reasons why you should advertise with them. And then at the very end, there's like a little sheet that says, we'll give you 
30 spots for $1,200 or, or however many. And so then you work directly with that person. A lot, of, a lot of advertising folks will even make your ad. So if you're like, oh, well, I don't really have like a radio spot or a TV spot, they'll help you make that. So don't be afraid like, oh, because I don't have a radio ad. I can't call, you know, have a radio spot. Um, they'll create one. Like they've got a million DJs at their station that can create that. And a lot of people just like get a proposal and they're like, okay, great, thanks. But for us that are really doing this a lot, we're going through line item by line item as to where every spot is and saying we want that time or we don't want that time, switch it to this. That's kind of the interesting part that I feel like some people forget in the industry. They're just like, oh, cool, you can set me a TV schedule. I'll just do that TV schedule. You mentioned PR and how communications versus marketing, it's different relationships. Um, and you do a lot of PR in your work in addition to kind of overseeing marketing teams and marketing plans. So what is the difference between marketing and public relations? Yeah, so that's a great question. So when I was at Midland Center for the Arts, I started out mostly PR um, and then um, evolved into doing both PR and marketing um, just due to hunger and interest and desires to do more. But at the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, I focused just on communications, actually. Our team is focused on the social media and the public relations side of the work. And then we have a separate team that's handling the marketing, so the ad buys and all, all of that. Generally, to get a story that's played on the news or um, an article that is written for digital publication and um, distribution or printed on the front page of a newspaper. That is your communications and public relations team. Sometimes organizations, you're, you're doing marketing and PR. Um, some organizations that have fewer staff are able to separate those, and um, they're just different relationships. So on the PR side, I'm working with reporters. In the world we're in today, it's also about influencers. So what influencers are on TikTok, on Instagram, um, that could be helping promote and share um, stories about the work in your organization. It really comes down to storytelling. And so public relations and communications is really about the storytelling aspect. It's really important to find a story in everything. So just because you're presenting a show, what is the story that resides in there? Like, is there a member of the cast that's from the community in which you're presenting it or from the state that you're presenting it in? Um, is there a relevance to that production and the importance of it in society today? There's so many connections that could be made. Um, and it's really about ensuring that you're telling that story because you have a paid marketing team that's just putting out the promo materials, right? Like they've got the promo photos, they've got the promotional copy. They're going to put that out in a more traditional sense. So if you're watching TV and you're watching like the Super Bowl and they're is a commercial that comes on for the Tennessee Performing Arts Center in the upcoming production of Hades Town or whatever. Um, that's 30-second like clip of Hades Town. That is marketing. That's that's paid. We paid for that spot. That's what you saw. At the 11 o'clock news, they would cover the Super Bowl and then they'd say, and what else is going on in town? Come and see Hades Town at Tennessee Performing Arts Center. Now that would be public relations. And we were talking with the cast member. That would be the public relations and the communication side of the work. Also, sometimes in the ad buying space, they're like, well, we'll give you PR if you buy with us. So sometimes it's a pay to play. And so the PR communications folks, it's a song and dance. And so, um, but it's about relationships. It's really about relationships. And that's, that's really the key thing. How do you determine what is going to work best per show? So is there a formula? Is there kind of tried and true avenues that you return to? Or is it all one big experiment? You know, there are facts and data points that will help you know what works best. I do 
deep down belief that marketing is instinctual. Um, and so when oftentimes when you're hiring candidates in a marketing field, we ask them to do a homework assignment. Um, hey, put together a marketing plan. And even if they've never done one before, just, just try, right? Like if you're in the interview process and they're like, fill out this marketing plan, um, just go for it. Because what we're really looking for is a good instinct, like a create a creative instinct, but also a good instinct. Like you have a good pulse on, if I'm trying to reach college kids, and then you said that you wanted to reach them via a, a traditional television schedule, I would say, I don't know if they have a good pulse on, on the world that we're in today, right? Like college kids are on social media, they maybe are going to be reached through a TikTok influencer. Um, they're going to be streaming. So we're going to need to do OTT, which is like um, your Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, Paramount, all those apps that you have on your smart TV. We can teach somebody to look at ratings and understand um, how successful um, a radio station is based on their reach and their effectiveness. It's the instinct and that creativity that really sets people apart. You have to really understand the show. And oftentimes shows come with like a cheat sheet. They're like the target demographic for the show is women that are 25 and above that are Broadway and theater fans. And they have a nostalgia to like we did Anastasia. They're like nostalgia towards the Anastasia movie because they watched it as a kid. Okay, I know that was you. And so <laughs> it totally was. <laughs> so so then sometimes it's you know, it's like almost putting together an avatar for me. Like I want to visualize that person. So when they're like 25 and above, nostalgia audience, likes Broadway shows, I'm like, so we need somebody like Katie Miller. So where do you think Katie Miller is getting her media? I think she's listening to podcasts. She's probably reading online articles from our daily newspaper. She is on the mom's blog um, and probably gets their emails. Um, she's probably on Facebook. That's not like a, it's not going to cover everybody, but starting to understand the different types of people that might fit within your target audience helps me instinctually understand who I'm trying to reach. So I don't like to waste money on things that I don't think will work. Like if I'm like, I don't think they're going to be there. Or I know that this says that they reach 25 and above, but I think People are mostly 45 and above. I think sometimes there's merit to believing those things because not every ad rep is going to be like, they're going to tell you what you want to hear sometimes more than what you have to hear. So that's why it's important to put together the facts of like the ratings. And so there's a rating system. It will tell you like how popular a TV show is, how many viewers they have on a daily basis. Um, and so you can look at some of those facts and listen to their viewership, their readership, their circulation. Um, those are all words that you should Google right now to understand how we make some of those like factual decisions, but there's an instinctual part too. And also every community is different, right? So um, in some communities, Twitter is like super popular. More metropolitan areas, I would say Twitter is super popular. But I did some work in Lansing before I came to Midland Center for the Arts and Twitter did not work. Twitter definitely didn't work at Midland Center for the Arts. Like we tried to just do organic Twitter. We couldn't get any engagement. We did it for like a year. We were like, this is not working. People just don't care about Twitter up here. They're on Facebook and Instagram. So not every blog that you're going to read online is going to be a silver bullet for every community. And so you have to have an instinct and a like a little bit of like boldness to say, this isn't working anymore. We need to change. We need to alter. And, you know, some communities, billboards work, billboards work great. In some communities, billboards are terrible. Um, and so that's just, there's all these things that you have to adjust to based on your organization and your community.
So bouncing off of that, there are a lot of small performing arts venues, arts councils, festivals, et cetera, that may only have like one to five staff members responsible for everything it takes to run that organization. Um, and But marketing is such a key part to making the art that they're trying to make, right, and get out into the community. So what is your advice to arts administrators in that situation trying to do it all when it comes to marketing? I've definitely been there to do it all because I, um, when I worked at the Arts Council of Greater Lansing, I was one of three full-time staff members. In that organization, I came with like a marketing background, but I wasn't the communications person. But our communications person really was a great writer. And she loved all that storytelling, public relations side of stuff. But then she didn't have much experience in the ad line. And so I found that sometimes you have to, every like in a small organization, everybody does everything, right? Just because she does marketing communications doesn't mean that the other two staff members weren't helping her or working on things evolving marketing and communications when we needed it. And so I worked on some of the ad buying side of stuff and she, or like social media promotion, you know, like even just like $50 behind a Facebook event, right? Um, I worked on some of that and she focused on the communications. And so rely on the strengths of your employees. Like what are they passionate about? Um, and also just people working in their strengths is always a good thing and you always get the best results. Um, so we talked a little bit about your philosophy when it comes to marketing. In particular, I know how passionate you are about storytelling. So how has that philosophy played into your work with Fresh Coast Perspective? Um, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about that project and how that came to be and the work you're doing there. In my work at Midland Center for the Arts, it was really about storytelling. And I was coming into like a northern mid-Michigan region. Um, and so there were a number of great media outlets and places to tell stories. Um, but there were not really a lot of blog writers or influencers. And I really just felt that in Michigan, there are all the communities, all the metropolitan communities where a lot of arts and culture organizations are, are drivable to each other in that if people in Grand Rapids knew it was going on in Midland, they might come or go other places. And so I have found that in a public relations and a communications role, sometimes you have to curate stories and content. And sometimes there might be a blogger that's not used to like coming to a show and writing a review, but you might want to call them and say, hey, would you, if I give you some tickets, would you consider doing that? Um, or a social media influencer, like, hey, would you come to the show and like tag yourself here? Like, we'll give you some tickets and just come and enjoy yourself. Talk about how you enjoyed yourself at our facility. Those kinds of experiences um, are part of our work and thinking creatively to tell more stories, right? Like, I just wanted to tell more stories and get the stories of my organization further. Having worked um, across the state um, with different arts councils and arts agencies, I noticed in Michigan, there was a void um, in that there was not a statewide platform that was telling stories of arts and culture. And the state agency who gives out, you know, millions of dollars to arts organizations to fund operational support, which is like salaries and stuff for arts organizations and nonprofits, they didn't really have a resource to point people to. Like if they were at a conference at like Arts Midwest, like, in, and they were like, oh, what's going on in the culture in Michigan? They'd be like, well, you could go to our website, but their website didn't have stories. Like that wasn't their work. Like that wasn't their job or responsibility. And there were regional magazines, but there was like, you know, Detroit or there was Grand Rapids. And there was not like a one-stop shop where you could get stories across the entire state. And so it really kind of came from this idea of 
Well, my full-time job could really benefit from a statewide platform that tells stories of arts and culture and my like serial entrepreneur uh, lifestyle, which is like, oh, there's a great idea. And if nobody's going to do it, you might as well do it because nobody's going to do it if you don't do it. I was like, I can build a website. I can write stories. I can publish stories. And in like three or four days, I stayed up to like four in the morning and just built this website. I was like so passionate about it. I just did it. And I launched it. And then like two days later, the director of the state arts council, um, who works under the governor, called and said, Josh, this is super cool. We need to meet and we need to figure out how we can grow and expand this for you here in the state. And so instantly got the support um, of this on the state level um, from the Michigan Arts Culture Council and the National Endowment for the Arts, and then brought on the Cultural Advocacy Network of Michigan, which is the statewide advocacy agency. And they all rallied around this idea that we needed to be better at telling our stories. So what started really is like this impetus to be like, I really like in my job, I'd like to get more stories out there and nobody's really doing it. And it seems like a an opportunity to fill. And then it turned into this side hustle that um, was super cool and is super effective for the state and that is providing a resource to uh, demonstrate the importance of arts and culture in Michigan that wasn't being done before. I really feel like this Fresh Coast perspective could be a model. I mean, can you throw us some of the stats, the impact and influence that it's had thus far? You know, in our first summer, we did a little bit of paid advertising to get it out in front of folks. And then we learned that that was really successful. And then this past year, we just finished up the first year working together um, and did a robust social media campaign where we reached like one point. 2 million people across the state, but pushing stories of arts and culture, like incredible stories, diverse stories, and not stories of always of like the big organization that everybody knows about. Like these are the stories of the indigenous artists that got a $25,000 grant from the NEA um, to preserve her art form from her indigenous culture. And how is that important for traditional folk arts in our state that that, that is preserved? And so that was like one of our biggest stories, which is super cool. Um, but it is shining light on the people doing the work here in Michigan. I think we had almost 50,000 folks that have read an article, unique folks that have read an article on the website. Um, we have people in all 50 states that have visited the website. So people that are in other places have come and experienced that. And then we published 12 podcasts. Um, we published, I think it was 232 articles in the course of the year. So from every corner of the state. And then we have a statewide community calendar. And I think there were like 330 events that were published on there over the course of the year. That's art um, events and exhibits and festivals. And so um, the cool thing about the platform is it's arts and culture in the broadest sense. So anything that is arts and culturally based from historic preservation and libraries to performing arts centers and choral groups, it's all encompassed in there. And um, it really is a wide breadth in um, celebratory of the sector um, in constantly thinking about boosting the economy as part of it. And, and that's part of my bias with the community and economic development background. But that is some of the objectives we have to do to, to really advocate in our state and really around the country around these topics. If people want to check that out, where do they find Fresh Coast Perspective? They can go to freshcoastperspective.com. Um, the name comes from this idea that we can, in Michigan, can be bold and 
take ownership of being the Fresh Coast State. Um, but we really wanted to shine a fresh perspective on the Fresh Coast State. Okay, so you and I actually met randomly when we both sat on a grant review panel several years ago for the Michigan Arts and Culture Council, which you mentioned, um, which is something we volunteer with as a way to give back to the industry, support our colleagues at MACC. But it's also a really great way to get to know what other organizations around the state are doing, um, learn some lessons from them just by reading their grant applications. And in addition to that, I know that you serve on lots of boards, councils, you're doing Fresh Coast, you're a musical theater performer. So what advice do you have for young professionals starting out in the field regarding these sorts of outside opportunities? Just get involved and do it. Um, and also, but don't overcommit yourself that you're not effective. Like if you are not bringing a active voice and participation to a board or a committee, it might not be what you're passionate about. And you shouldn't do that. You should you should do something you're passionate about because that is where you're going to feel like find these like fulfilling relationships. And you're also going to build a rapport for yourself that people respect and know. And then you're going to find yourself being asked to be on other boards and committees. And so um, it's so important. I think it's part of our civic duty, you know, go and vote for sure, but also to support and help these nonprofit organizations. And so um, I take to heart, you know, being on boards and committees, but I really don't join a board unless I have been involved at a committee level and really am engaged. Um, and that's also because I know myself and I have a hard time saying no. So if if I'm on a board and they just start asking questions and I'm on 10 boards, then they're all like, can you do graphic design? Can you help us with this marketing thing? I will have no time in my life to focus on the things I want and to give them the attention that they need. And so um, find something you're passionate about, get involved, and then it will just happen organically. I hate nothing more than people that call nonprofits because I've been on the other side of this. They're like, yeah, I'm looking to be on a board. Can I be on your board? And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. I'm sorry. I don't know who you are. If you've never volunteered, we're not on a first name basis. You're not going to be on my board. I have found young professionals sometimes say like, I just want to be on your board. Can I be on your board so that they can put on the resume that they're on a board? And guess what? If you're on a board and you, you don't have a good reputation for doing any of the work, those people are going to know the hiring person that you're applying for. And they're going to be like, they don't do anything on this board. And, and then it's not impressive that you're on a board on your resume anymore. So be involved in an organization you're passionate about and then just let it organically happen that you move up in that direction. And if you're young, there's plenty of times to be on boards. Um, there's plenty of boards to be on. Um, but invest in the ones that you're really passionate about. You get out of it what you put in. You brought up something before and I didn't even address it. Being on grant panel reviews is incredible. So if you have never been on a grant panel review, um, call your state agency. I'm sure they have hundreds or thousands of applications that they have to review. Um, and so they're always looking for like hundreds of reviewers. And it's a great way to understand the mission and vision for other organizations, how it can inspire you, impact you, make you think differently about your own work. But then also, um, it is great networking and it's great critical thinking. And um, I find them really enjoyable. They're a lot of work, but they're a lot of fun too. And so um, that is also part of like your civic duty as my opinion as an arts administrator is to, to participate in these grant review panels. And you learn so much and then you'll be more fluent to how to write a grant um, and how to participate in that process. Yes, hallelujah, totally <laughs> endorse that 100%. So 
Now think back to when you were first starting out in the industry. What do you know now that you wish you'd known then? I think you have to believe in the journey and the process. I think what my advice for others would be is that you have to work your way up sometimes, right? And so when I was out of the industry, I was a management level employee, but not in a performing arts center or marketing organization or doing marketing. It was like a marketing manager for economic or community development or program management. And I wanted to get back into marketing. And I was like, I will be the director's executive assistant. I don't care. I just want to be back in that industry. So I just continued to do the work. And then I found other ways to practice my work. So even though I wasn't full-time doing marketing, I was on those committees and those boards and I became the marketing chair. And then I did get freelance jobs doing a little bit of marketing. And so then when I was applying for marketing jobs, they were like, oh, great. That's perfect experience. Totally applicable to what we're doing. Find something you're passionate about because if you're not passionate about going to work every day, I don't know how people do it. I, I don't know how people do it. I enjoy coming to work every day. Um, and I love this industry that we work in. Um, but that's because I made that strong intention a long time ago. And let me tell you, people that are passionate about their work are the people you want to work with and are the people that you want to hire. Because when you work with people that are not passionate about this work, it's not fun to work with them. <laughs> and so, and don't go for it for like the, the superficial reasons and stuff, right? Like the reason why I love this industry is because. I love genuine experiences and people gathering together for these genuine experiences. And when I go in an interview, I say that. I don't say like, oh, I like to, you know, I want to work here because I like a Broadway show. Like, yeah, I like Broadway shows. I wouldn't work in this industry if I didn't. But deep down, I love the experience of going to a Broadway show with people and having that experience in a theater that only these 1,500 people are going to be able to experience together today. We're the only people in the world that will experience this today. And I think that that's so beautiful. That's what you have to say. That's why you want to work in this industry. Not because you like a Broadway show. Like, I hope you like a Broadway show. If you don't like a Broadway show, don't apply for my job, right? You know, I think that's that's a really key thing is knowing why you want to do this and being able to articulate that. Because if you can't articulate it well, I don't know if you're going to be able to articulate everything else in that job. So just think about those things and do a soul search for yourself. What do you like most about working in the industry today in 2022? You know, I think what I like the most is it continues to evolve and change by the day. When I started doing this work, you know, like social media, like we weren't doing paid social media and the, the media landscape was different. But what I love about it today is we're constantly finding new things. And I think that's what's important for folks working in this industry is to constantly be attentive to what's happening around you. Like I've recently discovered in my Gmail, I get these like email ads and just like pop up. And I'm like, how do I place one of those? I haven't looked it up. It's like, I'm sticking it right here on my desk. And it says, understand, how do you get, how do you get a Gmail ad? That's like right there. Cause it won't let me delete them as easily as I can delete all my other emails. And I was like, that's pretty clever. And there's always things that are popping up that are new and exciting. And, you know, I think the influencer industry, like this whole idea of like TikTok influencers and Instagram influencers is so exciting. And this is not really, you know, we've had influencers, but not to the level they're at today in the impact that they are today. And so I'm just excited about where we're going to go. And I think the other thing in 2022 is that we're really being intentional about having conversations about things that matter. And we are looking into ourselves to say, why are we telling the story? And Sometimes, why should we be telling the story, right? And who's invited to the table and who do we 
Who have we not invited to the table? Who do we set this table for that doesn't feel included based on the table dressings that we did? And so um, I'm just proud that we're now having those conversations so explicitly um, and that we're able to engage deeper in that conversation. And I think that that is why it's so fulfilling to work in this industry. You know, other places, you know, they might be thinking about that, but the arts are the most impactful vehicle to have those conversations. And the fact that we can be a part of that is super special to me. We know that this is a long game. And then we know that this work doesn't happen overnight. And this work doesn't stop. We will always be doing this work. We will always be adapting and changing and making sure that we can make experiences for everyone. Um, but I think that's what's kind of exciting about being a part of this work in 2022. Well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. Your passion for your work and performing arts industry is certainly evident. And we really appreciate your time, your insight, your expertise. I think this is going to be a really wonderful conversation for many people to hear, and they're going to learn a lot from it. So thanks again for all your time and best of luck in your new role at TPAC. Thanks, Katie. Katie, I love Josh. I related to him so much. I love his passion for marketing. And I think he did a fantastic job talking about all the different aspects of it in the performing arts world and, and how it's used. So I loved where his perspective is. You have to start with your goals. Not only who is it going to be for, but what do you want to achieve here? What is a win for you? What is success? How do we then achieve that? And how do we guide towards that? And then narrowing it down and really getting into the mentality of who you're trying to sell to. I also appreciated that he talked about, because a lot of people have this misconception that marketing means advertising. He explained how advertising is just one part of marketing and it's an important part, but it's it's only one part. I like how he broke down the difference between advertising and, and PR as well. I think what I really like, there's a couple of phrases or a couple of statements that he made that really stuck with me. And one of those kind of piggybacking off of what Josh said was just the, why are we telling the story and really focusing on you know, who it's for and what are, what are those goals? And so that's something that I've written down and kind of posted on my wall. Cause I think that that's a good place to, to start. But he also talked about, you know, being more inclusive in your marketing and getting your entire community there. What he said about that is that I, that resonated with me was who did we set the table for? Who doesn't feel included based on the table dressing? And I thought that that was really interesting. Um, a really interesting way to think about that because we always think about, you know, who's at the table um, you know, whose voice is there, but sometimes we don't think about like why people's voices aren't there. And sometimes it's just because they don't feel included based on, you know, the organization or based on, you know, what's happening within there. So I thought that was, that was good. And that's, that's something that like, I've never, I've never even considered that whenever it goes to marketing, I'm like, all right, primary demographic, here we go. Let's push this out. Let's figure out how to get to them. Let's how to figure out how to get them in the door and feel engaged with the show before the show even happens. Let's do that. I've never even thought about or considered who's not there and how to how to further include people and make people feel included before they get there. His perspective on that has really made me rethink how I'm approaching things. Yeah, I think that goes back to a conversation we had in a previous episode about assumptions about your community. Um, and we have to think about the community on the whole when we are marketing, advertising a show. And there's a lot of community engagement. I think that happens now um, within this marketing realm. It's 
building out those partnerships, figuring out who are your allies in the community, um, who can help you reach the people that you want to reach, but maybe aren't currently engaged with your organization in a really natural and genuine way, right? Not with the intention of like, we just got to sell tickets, but using our programming to actually build out positive relationships. Um, And sometimes that is thinking differently about your marketing materials, how you're going to engage doing public events um, in partnership with other organizations. Yeah, the part of the interview that really had me saying like, yes, these are my people um, was when he was talking about how, um, you know, marketing is still kind of like him using his creative brain, you know, just like that training of um, the arts work kind of beforehand. And I've always felt like the best arts administrators or the best arts workers across all the areas of um, an organization are the people that have like kind of figured out how to use that creative training or that creative brain that they've sort of built over time and figure out how to apply it. Whenever I really feel my creative brain kicking in on like designing a program, um, you know, or coming up with something like clever for marketing, it just feels so satisfying. (laughs) I also loved what he said. And I took to heart about joining boards because it seems like, you know, it's true. The more you get involved in other organizations, the more, I guess, you're noticed by other ones and they start inviting you to things too. And you get to a point where it's like, yeah, you have to figure out where to say no to because you start getting stretched too thin and then you're not serving anybody to the best of your ability. So, you know, focusing on the ones that align with your passions. Based on that, I mean, there are some commitments that are, you know, some boards and commissions that I'm going to be backing off of. I mean, because... To, to quote Josh, what he said was, don't overextend yourself. If you are not bringing an active voice and participation to a border committee, it might not be what you are passionate about. And I heard that and I went, oh, that's why I'm quiet in those meetings, um, because I'm just there to fill a seat. And honestly, if I'm not passionate about it, it's not good for that organization or that cause. So it's time for me to step down. Yeah. And so then if you back out of that, Kevin, then that's creating space for somebody that does have passion for that organization or that cause, right? And they can then take that space that you've created and recruit somebody new in, which is positive for the organization too. I've also heard like a lot of uh, career advice telling younger people to get out there and to join boards. And I think that maybe listening to the interview could like just feel a little bit um, confusing in that. But I think the the real goal for young people in joining the boards and starting to build those things in their resume is join a board that is looking for a young voice because a lot of boards probably should be um, or an organization that's specifically for younger people. You know, like maybe don't if you know, if if you've never done any orchestral music, maybe don't try to be on an orchestra board, but maybe try to be on like your local young professionals board and and find a way that it makes sense for you as a young professional who's passionate about something to put your seat at the table. And just to tag on about the young professionals part of it, some young people may not know or be invited right away, may not know how to get on it, but they want to. And a great pipeline towards boards is serving on a committee, because if you find a board that you're interested in that that aligns with what you're passionate about, you can find out what committees they have and reach out. And their you know, committees are always looking for people to help. And you don't need to be a board member in most situations to be on a committee. And then they get to know your work and know you. And then next thing you know you're being invited to join the board. That's great advice, Brian. The last piece of advice from Josh that I want to elevate is um, this, well, the advice in the story he told about being lost early on in his career and not having a direction and, and working in various positions and how that eventually led him 
to where he is now and using all of that experience. If you try something, you get into a position, it's not a great fit. That is still a valuable experience because it tells you what you don't want to do or what's not a good fit for you or a leadership style that doesn't work for you. And that is valuable information for you as well. You can use that to inform what you do in the future. So I really appreciated Josh sharing that and being honest about his career path. So thank you all for joining us today. This was a fabulous conversation. I want to thank my good friend, Josh Holiday for taking the time out of his very busy schedule to join us on There's No Business Like, and we'll see you next time. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to There's No Business Like. Our producers and hosts are Brian Zelmer, Josh Benson, Kevin Maynard, Katie Miller, and me, Danielle Van Hoek. Views expressed in this podcast are ours alone and are not reflective of the organizations we are a part of. Keep up with us at nobusinesslife.com. There you'll find links to all of our episodes and socials. If you like this podcast, give us a like, a follow, a review, or our favorite, a five-star rating. Oh, wait, what was that site? (laughs) I got it. Don't worry. It is nobusinesslife.com. Do I sound out bus I miss every time I type it? Yep, sure do. Stay in touch, my friends. Give me back the filet fish. Give oh, me no. that fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that literally does not ring a bell at all. He must not have been in the target market. That's all. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, McDonald's came at me hard on that one. <laughs> Haven't had a filet fish in centuries. <laughs> <laughs>